Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm talking to a man who is hard to miss if you see him in the street. Paul Marlowe is his name, but on social he is Tall Paul Mr. Vancouver, a former Toronto Blue Jays draft pick, varsity baseball and basketball player, and these days mental health blogger. We had a great conversation about seeking help, different forms of therapy, including MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, and creating routines that lead to better mental health. Here's his story. You are a guy who seems to wear many different hats, a lot of different things from personal trainer, blogger, YouTuber former baseball player as well. Uh, could you introduce yourself, uh, perhaps better than I'm able to? <laughs> uh, Martin, first of all, thank you for that. And thanks for having me. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I have, let's just say I've, I've tried many things in my life to be successful. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how you could put it. Uh, at the time, I didn't really work towards being as successful as much as I should have when I was in those endeavors. But I have uh, allowed myself to test things out that make me feel happy. So mm-hmm. I did start off my life as an athlete. That was essentially all I knew growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I did. Uh, I played baseball, basketball, volleyball. I am six seven, so that kind of does help out. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I got uh, drafted by the Blue Jays out of high school. Uh, I didn't sign, but then I went down to play four years of baseball in college. And then one year of basketball, and that was down in Shreveport, Louisiana. And after that venture was over, I uh, stuck to the fitness side and became a personal trainer because I did not think I wanted to uh, work in a desk somewhere underneath a uh, big company. So Mm -hmm. I took out on my own and put what I learned from my sports into my personal training. And I've been doing that for 10 years now, which I still do. But recently, I uh, decided to understand and try to figure out how social media works. I believe that could be an area that where I could uh, build a business, per se, and also reach out to more people about fitness at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, as of recently, that has changed from fitness-specific more to mental health. That's kind of why we're here. Mm-hmm. But luckily, fitness, uh, fitness is involved in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. I mean, you, you have been, uh, as you mentioned... Uh, you've been open in blogging about your mental health struggles. And then certainly that's what has caught my interest in, in talking with you. Uh, you've been open specifically around depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And I think you've done a fine job of putting that experience to words, which I think is not always an easy thing to do. You know, as, as far as depression goes, you've written... Uh, the gloom doesn't stop me from living. I can sleep, work out, eat, basically go through the motions in my life. Uh, that's all it is, though. They're motions and no more. And that felt very authentic to me and what I know and what I've lived. Could you tell me more about that for you? Uh, yeah, so that actually was an excerpt from a journal I was writing at the time. And I had no... I didn't know in my blogging that I would actually be using that as a piece to kind of tell a bigger story to help push what I was trying to help people with. So I wrote that, just writing it down to myself, because at 6 a.m. that morning, I was in this area, this place, and I didn't know really how to explain it in my head. So I just started putting it down on paper, and that's what came out. Mm -hmm. And I 
try to be as honest with myself as I can because I think if I can, I'm not honest with myself, how can I be honest with others? Mm. I still want to be on this world. I just didn't know what to do at the time or how to deal with it. Right, right. Backtrack just a little bit to maybe set the stage a little bit more for giving an idea of who you are and how you got to where you are today. Uh, tell me a little bit more about coming out of high school, being drafted by the Jays, and then and then your athletic career, and also how that how your own mental health was during that time. If you were noticing depression, anxiety already then, or if that came later. Uh, but first, about that period of time. Um, that period of time was as so I got drafted by the Blue Jays out of high school. It was a very late rounds. It was all in potential. And uh, I knew at the time when I got drafted, I was actually ashamed now that I look back at it and I can admit it. I was ashamed because I know my teammates didn't see me as that guy that could become a major league player. Mm. Um, I knew at that time also myself, I just didn't admit to it. I couldn't be it. I didn't have the work ethic that was needed. I didn't have the mental strength that was needed. So it was actually me playing sports was more of a stress in my life than it was a positive thing in whole. Mm. At the second time, I was very lucky because I had, um, because of my height, because of my athletic ability, I didn't actually have to work hard until I was 19 or 20 mm -hmm. to be, to be the star. Mm-hmm. The thing with that is I didn't learn how to work. So when I was 19 and 20, I didn't know how to work. And it just became more and more of an embarrassment to me to be on the field and fail over and over and over again is what started happening at the end of my career. And not having the mindset to figure out what to do and to start working to better myself. Hmm. So really, my last five years of sports... I was ashamed to be in the situation I was in. And I just didn't know how to address it. Mm. And I didn't. Address it. Because if you are in high school, let's say, if you're the tallest guy on the field or on the court and you're coordinated, uh, then that's putting you ahead of, you know, 90% of people, let's say. Uh, but then yes. take that into the university level uh, or other competitive levels. And as the com competition increases, then, then that uh, gap shrinks. Yes. A hundred percent is strength immensely. And then all of a sudden I'm at the bottom and these guys are doing, working on their tools per se for the game. And I have no idea how to sharpen any of my tools because I haven't done it before. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what position were you in baseball and then in basketball? I was a pitcher in baseball. Yeah. A righty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pitcher. I hit 94 um, I had some great games where it came out and then, but majority of the time I was a mental head case. If I threw a ball that I thought was a strike mm. for the next inning, it stuck in my head where you just kind of have to let it go. And I didn't realize that at the time, uh, as a basketball player, um, since I'm Canadian, I played center when I was in high school. Yeah. When I was in Louisiana, the basketball team picked me up and I hadn't actually played in six years. Yeah. So being a six seven center is actually not a very tall person. <laughs> no. <laughs> to be honest with you, I was uh, I was facing guys that are around seven feet tall, three hundred pounds. Yeah. So I uh, just I kind of muscled my way around. I put some size on by that time. I was definitely the weakest player just by skill. 
Mm-hmm. But at that point, I'd learned how to work hard and I had to uh, I put some more effort and energy into it. And that was actually the most uh, positive sporting year I probably had in the last 10 years of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you mentioned being 6'7", and, and that being grounds for being a center in Canada, I was 6'2", uh, six, six and that was grounds for being the center in my high school <laughs> yeah. basketball team. So it says a little <laughs> bit about <laughs> the varying degrees of, of standards, yeah. Uh, exactly. You know, I think that that is a good ground to build upon that idea that you mentioned of, of uh, the shame in playing sports, and uh, in, in playing baseball specifically. When did you notice your depression, anxiety, and PTSD, you know, any one of those first manifest? I, I noticed them, but I didn't address them. That's two different subjects in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed them right away. My PTSD was a time with my ex, which I haven't really talked much about. Mm. Um, but there was a lot going on in my life that I'd never dealt with, uh, with her and myself. And that is when I first started walking down the street, not looking people in the eye, wanting to get home as quickly as possible. And not in a way as like, I just wanted to get home, as in I would not literally not look up in my 20-minute walk. Mm-hmm. And my chest would be beating. And as I said, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm 6'7", 230 pounds. Um, I have nothing to be afraid of out there in the world, to be honest with you, 99% of the time. And I was just too, it was, there was so much going on in my body that I just didn't want to be there. And I didn't know what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just dealt with it. I knew what was going on. My life was making it happen, but I was didn't know exactly why or how I could stop it or what the exact reasons were, but that's when it was going on. But for me to actually accept and think about it from an outsider's point of view and try to assess what was happening, that happened two, two years down the road, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, until I became realistic with myself and what was happening in my life. So what happened then, two, three years down the road that uh, led to that being realistic with yourself? To be honest with you, so how you started this podcast off was how I've had worn many hats. Right. <laughs> I've realized a lot of these things that I've done in my life have been setting me up uh, for success in other areas of my life in the future. So I tried all those things. I tried sports. I tried YouTube. I tried personal training. And I succeeded in small areas. I didn't succeed to a point where they became my focal point. But I learned that failing was possible there. I learned that if I spent enough time, days, weeks, months on my own trying to learn as much as I could about it, I could get better at it and achieve more. Um, I then put that into my life and myself. So I learned that once I figured out, you know what, this is happening in my life, well, what's the first thing do I do? Um, First thing I do is I go and I Google and I find a therapist around me. That's the way to start. Second thing is I can figure out what does make me happy in my life. Where do I start? And usually in the mornings, I felt the greatest. So I'm like, well, let me focus on a powerful way to spend my first hour of my morning to hopefully give me the best opportunity to have the rest of the day be better than it could have been if I just start off my mornings with a very uh, obtrusive 
slam to the face, wake up and see the whole world in my eyes right away, which is something that scared me. Yeah. Um, so all those things where I was just kind of learning, plodding along, failing, but at the same time, banking it back for my future to I could come back and kind of get to retouch those areas that were positive. I then put it into my mental health growth area. Mm. That morning routine bit, I want to come back to later. But first, I want to, you know, attitudes have certainly changed with regards to mental health. And I do believe that people know better now. But I also know that misconceptions live on. And, and you mentioned being, you know, six, seven, uh, built like an athlete, I mean, you are an athlete, probably not the first person someone would assume to be ashamed or depressed or anxious or have post-traumatic stress, any of those things. How much of that myth of the masculine did you have to confront in yourself uh, during these college years uh, since then? It's, I had to, every step of the way, um, not to be egotistic, but I have been told I'm a decent looking guy as well. I do some modeling. I do some commercial work. I get chosen because of my looks sometimes over who I am as a person, which I'm totally fine with. But the thing was, I was a good looking, tall athlete who had muscle and size. If some regular person looked at me like this guy has a 10 out of 10, his life is filled with roses and gold and he has nothing to worry about. And I, I get that. I get that 100%. But along with that is I thought I had, I never thought I had to live up to that situation. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't here I am doing this so I can be this person because I have to be what they think I am. I just didn't know how to say I wasn't that confidently. That was the biggest thing. It was just I would lie or make white lies to not have them think, oh, he's not that guy. And not to feel ashamed or fooled or have them look down on me. Um, that, that was one of the things. And that was throughout, not high school as much, because I didn't have as much confidence then or I, my looks weren't there. But when I was in college and I started realizing that I was getting noticed by these people that I didn't think would ever notice me. And then past college, I really was. And I'm like, okay, these things are happening. Here I am as this male and I have this opportunity I was very, very, yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was very confident in it. I had a big masking outside, but inside I was like, man, this isn't me at all. Um, I don't have the stagger this behind it because right. I don't have the work ethic. I don't have these things that I believe I should have to be this person, which mm. I can make. I just didn't know how to make them. Mm. So you, you mentioned this uh, sort of disconnect, if you will, your between what people see and how you saw yourself, at least for a time. Mm-hmm. People, people see the six, seven, larger-than-life figure. And, of course, I mean, you felt, as we all feel, I mean, you know the, the behind-the-scenes. You know you're, you're probably still, you know, seeing the same self you saw as a kid. Or, you know, I think yeah. it goes back to we have this, this complete history of ourselves where others are seeing, you know, a snapshot, a moment in time. Yeah. Uh, how did you go about dealing with that, let's say? Or how did you, how did you manage that? First, maybe in the wrong ways, <laughs> and then finding a, a healthier way to, to uh, come to terms with that. 
to be honest with you, I still, I actually only in the last three months have I done the most beneficial way of dealing with that. And we can talk about that a bit in the, and later on, I think you want to t- touch on that um, therapy session I went through. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'll be honest with you, before that, I didn't have a good way. It's, for me, it was just a confidence factor. So it wasn't a confidence in me being able to stand there and feel good about myself, but it was in a confidence as in I have a plan for my business and my life with this. I can make enough money to support myself. I can make enough money to grow and do the things I want. I can get in the gym for six months and obtain the body I want or the fitness aptitude I want or learn something new in the gym. I can set up a YouTube channel and learn how to shoot and edit video and put it on there and have it grow. I can make a blog like I'm doing now and understand the intricacies of how to get it read better, how to write better, how to take photos and how to get it seen. For me, it was building confidence in other areas of my life, which then made me confident as a person. Because I realized I was a good athlete. I was. I was, I was a very good athlete. I wasn't confident in myself because I wasn't building myself up to become a better athlete. And that was it. I had everything outside, but I didn't have the confidence in the areas of my life that were going to help me grow. So I wasn't confident in myself. Mm. The confidence part. Is that confidence that you were seeking externally or where, where did uh, your confidence come from when there was a lack? Yeah, it, it would be, it would be external per se at the very, very end of things that would give me confidence in myself. But as in, like I said, this, these just on the blog recently, the last five months I've been getting five to 10 hits a day, which as you probably know, it's not going to give me anywhere in the life. If I do that for 10 years, mm-hmm. I have learned, I have read blogs. I've taken courses. I have practiced. I've written, I have done things in the last two months to help that grow to now I'm getting between 30 to 50 regularly and up to 200 a day. So that is getting, a little shot of adrenaline that people are seeing and doing things, but really it's the shot of adrenaline is the work I'm putting in is getting it out there. And if I keep this up, it should grow. It should grow. It should grow. So yes. And no, that was kind of a roundabout answer, but (laughs) 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 yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's me. It's me seeing and me understanding me knowing that the time I'm putting in, is getting the outcome I want. So it, it is a me thing, and I can see that the people are showing me it is what's happening. Uh, there's something else that we haven't talked about yet, which I think is a, is a key kind of foundational part of your story, and that is uh, the loss of your father. Uh, mm-hmm. If you could tell me about who he was in your life and, um, and uh, his passing and how that uh, affected you. Okay. Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't talked about this since my MDMA session, so we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, my dad, I didn't realize how much he meant to me. Uh, I, he meant we had a great family relationship, my whole family and I. Uh, there was no strife 
um, I loved him. He loved me. And he helped me throughout my whole sporting career. He was there. Like, I literally, one year, when grade nine or something, I had three practices in one day. And that would be, I played high-level soccer, I had a rugby practice, and I was playing high-level baseball. So that means soccer practice was an hour and a half, rugby was an hour, baseball was three hours. Mm -hmm. So that's three, six, seven and a half hours of practice. He Mm -hmm. drove me to every single practice and went to his work that day. Mm -hmm. Like that is the level of commitment he had to me and my dreams. And imagine that for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Not those practices, but going to tournaments, driving to Prince George, like, doing everything he flew down to kansas city and watched me play nationals for the basketball team it's just he did everything for me for that uh which he loved to do but uh yeah at the time i just he was my dad uh but when he passed it was a uh, yeah i i realized there was more to it and it affected me a lot um to a point where yeah i i got super depressed i didn't know what to do i Booked, I haven't talked about this, but I booked a flight to Bali two weeks after because I'm like, I need to get out. I need to get away from the situation. Uh, I'm not trying to run away. I just don't want to be in Vancouver. I want to get outside my bubble and just I, I feel free when I'm in a place I don't know sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened is I booked the flight uh, like two days beforehand. I signed into the flight four hours before. And then as I was getting packed, I just had a panic attack in my room. And I didn't know how I could get on the flight. I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I just broke down, sobbing, like bouncing my head off the floor. Like, what is happening to me? Why is this happening? And just 10, 15 minutes there, curled up in a ball in my closet. Um, I called my mom. I'm like, and she's like, come home. I'll pick you up. I'm like, no, I'll make my way home. I didn't get on the flight. I went home instead, and I just laid in my room for a week with my mom, uh, which is something I never expected to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, that's that's what happened when he was gone, and he was a uh, yeah. He was. I realized he was a big male figure in my life. That uh, I glad I saw after. I believe I saw it during. I just. It's one of those things you don't think of until someone's gone, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Was that, do you attribute that to uh, just an outpouring of grief that had been not yet released until that point? Was it a pressure valve kind of thing? Or how um, was that grief process for you? It was, there was a couple things. This was actually due to my ex and the thing that happened with us. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's when she was with me. So essentially, through his having Parkinson's, which lasted five years, to his very quick death at the end, and her and I breaking up, and me essentially going through a year of dealing with that, and that was where the PTSD came from, Mm -hmm. it was a accumulation of three to four years of the most stressful, anxiety, depressed life I've ever lived before and never thought I would live. Yeah. So let's add, you know, let's add things on top of things on top of things. And then my father passes away. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say exactly because there was so much going on that my time in my life. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of attributes. But 
uh, I think even without her and all that happening, I think the same thing would have happened. Right, uh, right. And and during this time, you're still who you are. You're six, seven, and uh, people are, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to disappear when you're, you know, six foot seven. Uh, I find that at six foot two, uh, it's hard hard to be invisible in places uh, when perhaps you don't always want to be seen or, or you know be the center of, of attention, and that's that's got to be hard to do during those years, during those five years when that's going on. Yeah, it's very hard. And to be honest with you, as uh, an entrepreneur, it's and an entrepreneur that isn't, I'm not failing, but I'm not making it where I want to go. Um, so I'm trying to build a business and grow and understand how I can find my path in this world. Um, having to do that as well when everything is dependent on you. If I'm not working for a week, if I'm not putting something down on paper, putting something out there, nothing's happening. Right. So there was the stressor of that. Uh, I, I, at the time you just kind of like, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. But by the time you want to get back, things aren't as easy to get back into. So yeah, there were a lot of stressors. Right. And, and being an entrepreneur and being, you know, whether I think regardless whether you're in your thirties or in your twenties, I mean, I don't think any age doesn't matter too much. No. Uh, it happens at any age, but this comparison effect can be the case where no matter where you are at in your life, if things aren't going a hundred percent as you wished, it's hard to ignore that comparison effect of, oh, where are my peers at right now? And, yeah. you know, as everybody's in 20s and 30s trying to get settled in their lives and people are at different stages, then that can be really hard too. Definitely. And I am later on than I want to be. I'm 34. Um, I'm not worried about it now. I'm confident. I'm happy where I'm doing. I'm, I'm very happy where I'm at. I just wish I did this 10 years ago. I wish I had these things occur in my life earlier. And I wish I took advantage when I was younger because I had the opportunity. But mm. you live and learn. I'm here now. I can't change that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it definitely does come into my head at times, for sure. Uh, you have used two forms of what I might call novel treatments for depression, anxiety, and PTSD. A novel, not that they haven't been done before or that there isn't a research-based history there, but more so that openness to such treatments has changed and continues to change with time. I think part of that is their controlled substances and varying tiers. Uh, if you could tell me first about, uh, I'm curious to talk about MDMA, but first about CBD, because I think we could talk about MDMA for a little while. Uh, but how did mm -hmm. you decide on CBD as part of uh, your treatment uh, portfolio, if you will? It's part of your treatment regimen. Mm -hmm. uh, and, mm -hmm. and what was your experience with it? Uh, CBD was one of those things that actually I hadn't heard much about before cannabis became illegal. Uh, I wasn't a big cannabis user. I, I have smoked, obviously, throughout my high school and throughout my years. But I found it made me more lethargic than actually less confident, which didn't help me. It made me more nervous. Mm -hmm. And I felt I felt even worse than I did when I was playing sports and the confidence level. So I, I would stop doing that. But as soon as it became legal in Canada the whole CBD frit craze came out and I heard more about it and I saw it. I understood what it might be able to do for me. Um, I've always been one to kind of, uh, I'll try anything once. That's kind of been my motto. Like why not give it a go? Um, I'm sure that they're still testing it, but it's it probably not going to hurt me if I try it for a month over the long, the years of my life. So what I did was, yeah, I started taking CBD daily 
um, kind of gauging the amount I would take. And I found it to be a positive for me uh, as a direct correlation to stress and anxiety. I personally did not feel a direct correlation. I've, I've heard some people, they've told me that after they take it within the next 15 to 30 minutes, they feel more relaxed, mm -hmm. which is great. That's amazing for them. I can't say that happened to me. However, where it did help me was I did realize I got better sleeps. Mm. And better sleeps means my body has more time to repair itself. And by repairing, it's the muscles, it's my brain, it's everything going on there. If those have time to repair, then most likely my mental health will have a better opportunity to get better and grow and repair as itself because I feel better in the morning, my brain synapses are firing better, and all that stuff kind of works together. So that's where I found it would be very helpful for me. Mm. Sleep. Has sleep been something that has been hard to find, uh, particularly in, say, depressive periods? Yeah, it's, it's been an amazing difference from shoot, since I was 25. When I was in college and after college, I, for sports and due to our scheduling we had, I, I napped two times a day and I would nap for an hour and get deep sleeps. Um, I had no issue with it throughout my whole life. Sleeping and napping was a key thing for me. Uh, once this all started in the last three years, I could tell I probably napped uh, two times. Mm -hmm. it's it's something that it just doesn't occur and it still doesn't at this time i rarely rarely nap but sleeping for me has been in the last two years except for this last three months have been far better i i do sleep i'm not one of those people that uh, can't fall asleep i'm not one of those people that wake up middle of the night but i found even after six or eight hours sleep i would wake up and i wouldn't i wouldn't feel rested I felt as if my brain and my muscles didn't connect during the sleep. Mm -hmm. There was like 75% was there that put me under, but the actual rehabilitation repair part didn't occur. And uh, I'd be able to get through the day. I could work. I could work out. I could do everything. But just as soon as I woke up, I didn't have that big yawn, you know, just waking up, muscles feeling full, body feeling rested, just kind of laying there like, okay, I'm ready to take on the day. That didn't occur for at least three years. And for me, that was a major change in my life. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about MDMA. Mm -hmm. What led to your interest in trying it as part of your therapy? Uh, what led to my interest was I came to a point, uh, probably four months ago now, that I come to the realization that fitness, uh, meditation, yoga, eating well, and just trying to be a healthy person and go to therapy wasn't wasn't doing it for me. It wasn't. Uh, it was beneficial, but I was like, I. I'm not getting out of this situation. Every day there's at least something there of the depressive state. And that was where the excerpt came from that you read. Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, I was, I was a zombie. I was better than I was before, but I didn't see myself in five years changing that zombie-like state. 
So I, I went to my therapist. I'm like, this is the situation. This is how I've woken up the last three days. I emailed her like 24 hours before and say, I need to come and see you. I hadn't seen her in a couple of weeks. I'm like, I have to do this. So I need to talk to you. And she's like, yeah, I agree. I think it's a time for you to look at the area of, we weren't looking at MDMA. We were looking at uh, antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I was like, because I didn't know what else to do. I said, this is it. That's next step. Um, because everything else I've tried organically per se, if you want to call it organic, just wasn't putting me over that edge on that area I needed to be. So I actually took to social media because I try to be as honest as I can about my ups and downs and forks on the road and transitions in case it helps someone else. Mm -hmm. And I use it as actually a therapeutical thing for me, just putting it out there. I'm not ashamed by anything anymore. So I just put it out there, and it's kind of nice that people say we're with you. It's also kind of nice that people say thank you for that because I need that too. So I put it out there that I'm looking at antidepressants because what I told you guys about fitness may just not be the 100% thing you need. Um, And then I got some replies back saying, have you tried uh, psilocybin magic mushrooms? Have you tried LSD? Have you tried ayahuasca journeys? Everything along these uh more natural drugs for journeys per se mm-hmm. and to kind of find your way um i'd heard about them before and i to be honest with you i had thought at some point i'd like to do that that's kind of a thing that interests me and i thought well maybe this is the time to actually take that step and look into it so uh i was lucky enough to get in contact with a therapist that dealt in this realm and she kind of was there to take me on that journey um the MDMA session did not occur right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually went and we had nine therapy sessions prior to it to uh, so she could understand where I was at. We could talk things over. These nine sessions were occurred over a three-month period. Yeah. But they actually, from perhaps it was because the goal I had coming up and I knew I was going to hopefully be helped by it, these therapy sessions actually helped me feel more positive and confident and took me out of that gloomy place already before I came to the MDMA session that we had together. Yeah. Which yeah. Thing. So there are places in the world doing clinical trials with MDMA. I know in the UK, uh, Dr. Robin Carhart Harris has become quite famous for his research with MDMA and potential therapeutic use. I know end of life anxiety is a big one, uh, post-traumatic <laughs> stress as well. And it seems quite promising that in the right setting with the right safeguards, it can have a, you know, quite a positive effect, but it's not something that you can walk into any doctor's office and say, you know, I'd like the MDMA today, please. It's not, we're not there yet. Uh, How did you find a therapist who was uh, open and willing to do this? Once again, I got lucky. Um, I can be honest with you. I've taken MDMA as a party drug before. So right. If if it was one of those things where it's kind of like you just take this and you, if there was a guide where you sit down in a place by yourself and talk to yourself, I could have gotten that that night because you can right. find DMA Molly anywhere. If you have anyone with friends, someone has a contact. But this journey was a different thing. So I, I was lucky. One of the people that reached out to me had a friend who was actually a therapist they had used. I don't know how they got in contact with them. Mm-hmm. But she had uh, used this therapist before and said she's a good friend of mine now. I would like, um, I'm really happy what I did. This is how it goes. 
please, this is the contact information, reach out. Um, and yeah, I, other than word of mouth at this time, because of the legality of it all, I, no one's promoting it. They, right. They're not going to put it on the web to be found. So right. it's kind of, who do you know that has done this before that feels confident giving you that person? And I was lucky enough to have that. And that was that day I had that contact. I got the confidence to reach out in the next two days. We then connected a week later in person. I then had to commit another time because it was I wanted it to better myself, but they were honest with me and said, this is going to be around a $3,000 venture for you mm -hmm. due to the therapy sessions prior. Uh, the drug didn't doesn't cost anything, essentially. It's just the it's a six hour uh, therapy session where you're paying therape therapeutical rates for right. that six hours. It's a lot of billable hours there, yeah. Yeah, a lot of billable hours and the nine sessions before. Mm -hmm. I uh, I did balk for twenty four hours, but in my way of becoming more confident in myself and understanding myself better, I've realized that a lot of the reasons why I'm not confident is I don't take chances and do things that I kind of make me feel uncomfortable and out of my bubble. So I was like, this is one, if this is an investment in my mind and my body and it can help me become a happier person, then I will most likely make up for this money in the future of my business because I'll be able to run my business. Right, right. <laughs> things, things will be positive again. So I, I took it. Right. Uh, certainly not alone in uh, in feeling comfortable in your bubble. I think that's most of us. <laughs> yeah. But we yes. good to recognize that in the moment. Uh, you mentioned nine sessions leading up to, to the final one or is it nine sessions in yeah. total? No, it was, it was nine sessions leading up. It was, she gave me a, like, this is the general idea where we'll be going from what I've talked to you about the first session. The first session was free and it's just, this is what I've read from you. This is how I feel. And like first session, I would talk about my ex and my dad and I was crying and it mm -hmm. killed me and I was like, oh my God. Um, and she's like, here, and actually we started off with, uh, the suggestion of LSD was to be honest with you was the first thing she's like you'll be doing an LSD session mm -hmm. um, but then after the fifth session or so uh, due to everything that we had talked about and the areas that came up she's like no MDMA is a smarter area for you to start off with first there's things to address here that need to be addressed before anything else is used it's a lighter dose it doesn't uh, it's kind of just shakes the walls a bit so stuff can permeate through and be talked about while well, LSD kind of blows up the walls, she says, mm -hmm. kind of like an atom bomb, <laughs> while MDMA just kind of peppers it and lets you kind of sift your way through. So uh, that was the reason for that. Hmm. Uh, tell me a bit about the back and forth leading up to that MDMA session and then the day itself. Uh, the back and forth, well, we started by email, just talking to each other. And then, just to be honest with you, the therapy sessions were like any other therapy session. Just, first of all, the first one, you go in and you meet some person you've never met before, except for email, and you just like, okay, let me indulge my life to you and cry and weep and <laughs> be as honest as possible, <laughs> where you wouldn't do to anyone else because you'd be so socially worried that they would judge you. Right. Um, I've gotten far better at these, so it's. I, I like to think I'm 99% honest when I go in there. Mm -hmm. I do hold. I know I hold some things back, but I'm far more better than I used to be. But no, the sessions were that, and we we had the focus of the goal ahead, which was a little different than my other therapy sessions I've had with other therapists. 
where it's kind of like I would go in for the day and she would say, you know, what, what do you have going on today? What's happening in your head? What do we want to talk about area? Mm-hmm. We want to discuss this again or go onward. So that was the biggest change. It was more of a focus. Uh, but we, but the main thing was we hit the areas of my father and my ex were the big focal points we were working things around. Mm-hmm. And then that turned out to be understanding that what was happening to me in my life when I was three till 10 was this addressing areas, which got more interesting. Mm. How did you find the MDMA play a factor in this process? How did it take effect? And, uh, and what did you notice that doing to your therapy sessions? Uh, I, I don't know if you have or the, your viewers or listeners have taken MDMA before, but in, I'd taken it before, so I knew what the feeling was. Uh, in the party factor, it's the music. You take it in, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this music sounds far more amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, this person I'm talking to is, well, I could talk to them for about 10 hours and we start indulging on things that I never thought of before. Mm-hmm. Or are you with a loved one and you're willing to say far more things deep down from your heart and there's no walls mm-hmm. to stop them mm-hmm. uh, so that is it, it's a very loving positive happy feeling so it made sense for me for the therapy session because our session was six hours long and i go ahead and take the pill and you kind of wait it takes around 30 minutes or so to kick in depending on your body and how you take it uh, but all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, okay. And the thing is, there's no music and there's nothing else. So there's no other stimuli around, which was a bit different for me. Because usually with the music, you can kind of tell like things start feeling cooler, better. And that was my guide to when it would kick in before. Um, I, I'm not a regular user, but mm-hmm. I have partied in the past 10 years mm-hmm. off of it. But uh, with her, it was just like, I was just there. And I was like, I feel like it should say something after some time and she's like well what do you think you should say I'm like i don't know and then she was like we'll start with uh, what's in your head well my head is and then it just started pouring out mm. and the reason why it's there is in you why we use it i believe and from what i felt is it's you're not like really you just don't hold back those things that scare the shit out of you in person you're like I'm going to talk about this because I'm not worried about the repercussions. Mm. Um, Something in the back of your mind from when you were 10 years ago when you said the stupidest thing to this one person that made you feel embarrassed or saying it and you've kept along for those 10 years and you know it's back there but you've hidden it, hidden it, hidden it, hidden it. However, it just sits a little bit in your heart and you can feel that taint. That will come out in that time. And you will be able to talk on it and grieve on it or assess it or have six hours of conversation on that one piece and how it has altered your whole life. Mm. That will come out, could come out, can come out. And that's what happened to me. Part of what I find interesting about this world, I mean, you mentioned uh, earlier you're not a fan of the woo-woo. And and I don't know if you've read Michael Pollan's latest book, How to Change Your Mind, but... Uh, he goes into the into the underground world of uh, of psychedelic therapy, and when you go into the underground, because of you know the the legality that's not there yet, you tend to at times find some characters. And in your case, you know you're given mm-hmm. a rose quartz crystal to open the heart mm-hmm. and a piece of selenite to align your chakras, and suddenly, uh, as you say to your therapist, you're into the hippy dippy. Uh, yeah. 
how do you keep the more clinically tested, you know, science-based part separate from the spiritual and this kind of experience? Or is it all just part of the experience? Is that just, it's all kind of one collective whole? It's in the past, let's say five years ago, I would have split it up a hundred percent. Um, I would have a hundred percent gone scientific. This is woo woo. Let me focus on this. I will just decompartmentalize this other stuff you're doing beside me with the music bowl that you're ringing and I will focus on everything else. And I, I understand that is why I got to the way my life is a bit, mm. um, judging, not accepting, not allowing myself to be comfortable and accept other things around me just for the sake of them being they're in this life in this world and I can't change it. So I, uh, I'm glad I did this session at this kind of mindset that I have now. And I'm like, I'm going to jump fully on board. Like I'm, I'm jumping off the deep end into this pool. I'm not just touching my toe in the water. If you think this is going to help me and I'm paying you $3,000 or so, I'm going to fully do what you say because I don't want to just go in 95%. What's the point of me being here if I'm just going in 95%? Mm. How do you tell when your depression or anxiety or PTSD are starting to ramp up? I mean, what what signs or indicators do you look for to get a, a head start on dealing with things? One of the things for me is I can tell if one of my three pyramids uh corners is falling off so i use uh work is one fitness is the other and eating is the other if those three are strong if i'm working hard and i'm trying to build my company if i am working out i work out six days a week already but if the workouts are going well and i'm achieving what i want and if i'm eating the right foods and doing the thing that i like that makes me happy if those are all working, I know everything, and mentally, I am there. Usually, when one of those falls off, mm. I can be like, okay, hold up, what's happening? Because if one falls off, then the other two start lacking. Right. And then I'm usually not noticing something in my mental side of things, but after a few days, it's, hold up, what's happening here? This isn't feeling as good. These two, I notice, are becoming harder is something occurring in my life that I'm missing out on. That's mm. one of the more general ideas, but it's an easy way for me to tech. Mm-hmm. However, though, when I do have, when I wasn't really in a bad space, it would be, I would be afraid to go out in public. I really would. I, I don't like being seen in public at times um, and walking through a group of people or having to meet with 10 friends for dinner and have small talk. So if my chest was uptight and I, I could feel a little bit of an extra heart rate pulsing, I would know something in my near future was making me nervous and I had to address it at that time to try to calm myself and talk myself down, out, or just accept what was going to happen and get ready to move on for tomorrow. What are your strategies in those moments? Uh, you, you notice that something is amiss or you notice that one of those three cornerstones are starting to slip. How do you begin to take action? With those, I try to, at the time, I, I make sure I have everything that I need to make those actions happen. As in, if it's the food is slipping, do I have the right food in my place to make up 
for what I'm doing wrong. Really, that's it. Like if I, I can't change it if I don't have these things. So have I gone to the grocery store and gotten the vegetables, the fruit, the good carbs, the protein that I need? Is it because I'm eating out because I've been too lazy to address that? Um, at the workouts, have I been being a little lazy in the workouts? Maybe I need to change that up. Uh, work, have I not addressed getting new clients and done the 10 emails that I told myself I would do? Those are like the very first things that I can look at and address. If it's really something mentally going on that I have been missing it out on, then it's, am I getting enough sleep? If it's not, I will go and try to take a nap because that will actually help me at that time if I can wake up and I can feel more rested. If I put too much on my plate and I'm feeling anxiety and overwhelmed from and then really what I do is sometimes I just go and I get away from everything I go for a walk try to just kind of become one with nature I don't like the woo-woo stuff but really to get outside get away from your phone Mm -hmm. and take a look at the surroundings around us is it really does help me for just 30 minutes or so just to get away it lets me think a bit more clearly and hopefully assess more what's going on really i just need to assess Mm. i don't i try not to take action too quickly i just want to break it down into smaller pieces and try to find that one piece of the puzzle that's fallen off Mm. two more areas i want to cover yet Mm -hmm. uh you had talked towards the beginning of this conversation about your morning routine and from what Mm -hmm. i know of you you're seem to be a man of routines a man who you know is very intentional about what you do yeah. And of testing what works in your life to get the most out of any any given area. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to mental health, I'm interested in, in how you do start your mornings. Uh, what did your morning routine, let's say, used to look like? And how has that changed in time? My morning routine before I realized I was severely depressed and before my father passed, I'm trying to think of when exactly, I might have started up something prior to him passing. Something is very loose. Mm-hmm. But really before that, and he passed uh, 15, 16 months ago, uh, there was nothing. It was, I have to be at work at 7.30. I need to catch the bus at 6.45. I get up at 6.15, throw in the water while I go shower, make coffee, chug it down and leave that that was there was no routine it was me getting out the door as fast as possible um why it started is like i said i become i found out i am a morning person i get more work done i am kind of more one with myself to start my day that is my that's my positive time that's my best energy time that is the time that i feel like i can learn the most and i can feel like i can access the most so I uh, thought, why not give myself the best chance to better myself at that time and kind of give me something to follow daily, which I can keep up for hopefully the rest of my life. And what I did is I just read a bunch of blogs, listened to Tim Ferriss, um, Joe Rogan, you name it, these guys that kind of, I look at people who are successful in the areas I want to be successful in and I listen to them. That, that is what I do. I might take a bit here, a bit there. But I have to see what works for myself. So my routine is uh, I get up pretty much. If I have something to do, I will give myself an hour at home by myself before I have to do that thing. 
mm-hmm. and not a rushed hour. Like I will give myself, make sure it's a very lenient hour. But waking up, I after that, I make, I have to shower. I'm a showering person. I need to shower in the morning to wake myself up. Um, I have added into that recently. I finish my shower off with a, a cold splash of water for 15 to 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really found that helps me just kind of zone in right after waking up. I do love the heat. I sit in there as long as possible in the hot. But once I go to finish it and really start my morning off, I hit that cold shower. Uh, I then have a hot lemon water. And depending how I'm feeling and if I have a good book, I will read a business or a personal growth book. Mm-hmm. Something where I can maybe take something from and kind of analyze that morning in myself and perhaps grow, perhaps learn, perhaps change. Uh, and I'll, I'll read for only about 10 minutes or so while drinking my hot lemon water. Once that book is done and the 10 minutes is done, I then... I've kind of changed it up a bit, but I kind of just sit there and I, I, I just stop and take a look around at the world. I have a beautiful uh, view from my apartment. It's all glass. So I just look out at the buildings and trees around me and just kind of accept that I'm here in this world and I'm happy to be here. Um, kind of think about what I did yesterday. that was positive, what I could do today. And mainly I just try not to think of anything. It's kind of a prep myself for my meditation I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, which then after a few minutes of that, I try, try is the big word in that, to meditate. I used to use the Headspace app, but I realized I didn't like opening my phone, putting headphones in and doing that aspect. Mm-hmm. I on social media phones so much that I don't want to start my morning off. And I also, at this time, I'm not opening my phone to start my day until my 60 minute morning routine is done like that is the reason why i'm doing this is i'm not actually getting on there for 60 minutes mm-hmm. i'm letting myself come to this world so i'm kind of it's a it, i'm fighting it with that thing so right now i'm just meditating on my own uh which probably lasts five to seven minutes because <laughs> <laughs> i can't tell the time and i sit there and i go through but either way it's a very I, if I open my eyes and I feel like I'm, there's a little bit change in the world around me, just I can kind of seep it in and take in what's around me a bit more, I'm happy with it. I will then give, once I'm sitting there finishing my lemon water after the meditation, I kind of give um, a little bit of thanks. I, like, I'm grateful for being alive today. I'm grateful for this view. I'm grateful for this opportunity that I get to do a podcast today. Once again, this is very new to me. I just started this a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And this kind of gets the woo-woo side of things for me. Um, that's why I kind of keep it to myself at 6 a.m. in the morning when no one else is around. <laughs> <laughs> but I have found it to be a positive thing, and I still do it after two weeks. So obviously, I, I like it somewhere in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I turn on the water. Um, I, I boil some water for my coffee. And that's usually around 45 minutes as I kind of get things done. Um, and then I finally open up my phone and just dive into the world a bit. And I might journal at that time waiting for my coffee. Mm -hmm. Might, I can't say I journal every day. Uh, if something crazy happened the day before, if I really have something in my head, I will do it then. How important is it carving out that time, you know, 45 minutes Mm -hmm. without looking at your phone, without any of that external input? 
of notifications that may or may not be there, emails that may or may not be there, text messages, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's huge. For me, it is amazingly, it's huge. Uh, one of the biggest things in my past life, I like to call it, before I've had this kind of shift in my world in the last five years, I I would, I wouldn't stir the pot anymore, but I would be very honest on people's like posts on Instagram or Twitter, I'd say something that probably wasn't the most positive thing for them to hear. I'm not saying it was a wrong thing, but it was, did someone really need to hear that? Or could you have stated it in a more positive way that it could be beneficial for both of us? And I would either say something or I would look for something and I would wake up in the morning having these replies or these things. And I'd be like, ah, I would start off with this angst and anger and <laughs> just a bunch of negative energy for no reason. Um, so that is one of the reasons why I stopped. And then also it's just re looking at, you know, you have an email, you have this message, you have these people wanting you to do something. It was just this, 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 and it started. Once you open that phone up, you're not going to take a step back and go into that quiet mindset you had just after waking up. It's, right. It, right. It, once it's there, it's there. You're not going to get out of it. It was very hard not to look at your phone for the first two months. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you have that pull. I don't know if you've ever forgotten your phone for more than 24 hours somewhere. And you do have that. <laughs> you have that hand twitch to your, your quad because you, right. you think it vibrates and you think your leg's shaking. But like, oh, no, there's no phone there. Right. Like it's that ghost phone. So it is very hard. But now I'm extremely happy. And if I open my phone beforehand, like mentally and emotionally, I do notice like I I get angry at myself, but I also feel this toxic feeling in my head if I open it too early. Mm. It is it is kind of that Pandora's box. Once you open it, you can't you yeah. can't shut it up again. Yeah. What has been the best part about sharing your mental health experience? The best part has been how many people I have reached that they feel it is beneficial in their life to shoot me a dm on instagram from around the world like at the moment where i'm out with it that is by far the best thing that i've had happen as in someone will come to me from paraguay and shoot me a dm on instagram saying i found you through this channel i stopped and read your blog i really needed this today thank you so much i like how honest and open you are have a good day like that, that right there is one of the better things that I can find in my day that make me feel happy. Mm, mm. That's probably among the best uses of the internet one could have of all the, yeah. of all the ways that social media can be used. Uh, yeah. that, that's, that's one of the better ones for sure. And it surprises me. Like, like I, I'm not trying to be an advocate. I really don't like that word. I really don't. Mm. Uh, I'm just trying to be a dude that is willing to talk about what has gone on in his life and talk about everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, and whatever else you want to say. And if you want to take something from it, great, but I'm not a professional, so I don't know why you'd want to listen to me. But yeah, that's all. That's all I'm asking out of it. Paul, where can people find you if they want to connect, if they want to know more about your story? Um Right now, Twitter, I'm loving Twitter. I think it's a great platform just for those reasons, actually be able to reach the people and talk to it. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Paul's Life. 
uh, that is where you can reach me directly and have a conversation with me. But tallpaul.ca is where my blog hangs and where I have a bunch of information on there that I first of all would love to hear what people think on it, if it's helpful or not. And hopefully if it helps them, they can let me know that too. Thank you so much for your time today, Paul. It was uh, great chatting with you. Amazing. Thank you, Martin. I appreciate it, man. I hope we do it again sometime. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and hit subscribe. Leave a rating and a review, and most of all, tell someone else you think might like it. If you are a fan of this one, you might also enjoy episode 60 with Ryan Martin. Ryan lives with bipolar disorder and used that as a jumping off point to cycle across Canada and raise over $120,000 for mental health. You could also check out episode 34 with Travis Garretts. Travis is one of Canada's top freestyle skiers. He competed at Sochi in 2014 and has since become an advocate for mental health awareness after his own diagnosis of bipolar. You can find all of those and more at storyuntold.blueberry.com or search Story Untold on your favorite podcast catcher. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. Mm-hmm.